The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, my name is Andrew Dowhouse Colors on projects like Titans, Faith, Rye, and Bloodline. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Podcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 249, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 30th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. When I'm not pretty sure everyone that told me they enjoyed Batman vs. Superman are part of some huge April Fool's Day conspiracy, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not still giggling after getting to see Grant Gustin as The Flash, not once, but twice this week, I'm still reminiscing about my days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. You want to kiss him so bad. In I this, do want to kiss him. In this week's episode, you'll hear our in-depth reviews of Sam Wilson, Captain America, number seven, and Aquaman 50. Wow. After that, Joe and I are going to review 10 more of this week's new comics for as long as I can pry him away from his Grant Gustin fan site during a ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll talk about our picks for next week's comics with a group of morning hobbits and dwarves. And finally, one brave listener steps up to the bench to defend his questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge in a little segment we call The Defenders. But before we start doling out nerd justice like lightning, let's get our multiversal remotes ready for the Punisher to meet Archie on his show, and then we'll talk about this week's Big News! You really pulled it out there in the end. I did. Good job. I'm good at this. And humble. (laughs) All right, so here's the deal, Matt. Nobody wants to talk about anything except for Batman versus Superman know, and DC Rebirth. I know. <laughs> so there's nothing to talk about this week except for some things that we missed that were still pretty big. So let's get in our way back machine and jump back to a couple weeks ago. Okay. Just before C2E2, where Valiant announced that a whopping 15 artists had chosen to go exclusive with the publisher. Like who, Joe? Okay. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so you've got Raul Allen from Bloodshot Reborn, David Barron from Book of Death, Dougie Braithwaite, who we love. Oh, man, he's great. David LaFuente, drawing the new Archer and Armstrong. Also great. Diego Bernard, who I have never I heard of. I do not know him. He does the Unity thing. Cafu, uh, who I really like. Incredible. Kari Evans from uh, the previous also Archer and Armstrong. very good. Robert Gill, who is the co-writer of Book of Death. Trevor Harrison from uh, Divinity and this upcoming sequel. Who's just amazing. Clayton Henry, who has been around forever and we love. Louis LaRosa, who is doing Bloodshot Reborn. That book looks beautiful. Yeah. Perry Perez. Who has a fantastic name. Yes. <laughs> uh, Brian Reber, who is the uh, writer of the new Archer and Armstrong book. He also did the Thanos and Darkseid, the Carpool Buddies of Doom. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Written yeah. by, uh, he drew that. Justin Jordan wrote it. Okay. Uh, Juan Jose Rip, who I am not a fan of, he but he's a big Avatar, Avatar guy. dungeon, though. That's yeah, he good. sure did. He wiggled free from his shackles. He wiggled free. And Miko Swayan, uh, who does Harbinger. Stunning. That's a big list of dudes, and they've all been drawing for 
They've all done several projects. They've all been working for Valiant for a while now, but they have decided that that's the place they want to make their professional home for the foreseeable future. And I think that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, 15 of them went exclusive. We hear about artists going exclusive, and it is artists and writers. One or two at a time. Usually one or two. I don't think I've ever seen a list this big. When it comes to bringing back this universe and gathering this talent and churning out great comics yeah, that I people say it, really like. I say it way too much. You should all be reading Valiant comics, including you, Joe Patrick. You son I, of a bitch. Look, I read, I read some of them scattershot here and there. I'm trying my best. Save it, you dumb bastard. Fans of the cult favorite comic and TV character The Tick got some welcome news recently when it was announced that the dim-witted, nigh-invulnerable superhero would be making a return to live-action television courtesy of Amazon Prime. That's right. For the low, low price of $99 a year, you can watch The Tick. Last week, <laughs> Deadline reported that Spaced and Guardians of the Galaxy star Peter Serafinowicz would take up the role last played by Patrick Warburton in the short-lived Fox live-action series. Fun fact, Sarah Finowitz also provided the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One. I had no idea. The Phantom Menace. Now that I say that out loud, I can totally hear it. Totally. Totally hear it. So for those of you who don't know, Peter Serafinowitz, he was the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy that uh, explained... He said, what a bunch of a-holes. Yeah, what a, the guy, yeah. what a bunch of a-holes. Uh, <laughs> and that is exactly how I was going to describe yeah. him. So well done. Joey, are you excited for the return of the Big Blue Justice to TV? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, we're only getting a pilot for now, but I I love the take. Uh, I think it's a what a time to be alive where these old like beloved, but uh, let's say ratings failures can right. can make a comeback with streaming services. For those of you who don't based know, based on fan demand, the tick is uh, created by Ben Edlund. And it is a humorous comic book. It's a humorous take on superheroes. It was absolutely hilarious. There was a cartoon that ran for a while. One of my favorite cartoons in the of 90s. all time. Absolutely wonderful. I think you can watch all of them on YouTube for free. You might be able to. I'm pretty sure you can. And there was also a live action show on Fox. Patrick Warburton like played the Like nine episodes. It was also wonderful. The Tick is a well they could keep going back to again and again and again. And it will never get old. It is too funny. And I encourage you... To check it out. You can still find reprints of the comics. They're also wonderful. Yeah, they're still, uh, they're very few and far between, but I think they still make tick comics. Yeah, and it's just occasionally in cheek superhero lunacy. So much fun. So in the new tick pilot, the title character will be recovering from memory loss and will end up reteaming with his sidekick, Arthur, who is dressed like a moth. Uh, he's got like a flying moth suit. It's awesome. Uh, Arthur is going to be labeled as a schizophrenic because he keeps running around shouting that uh, there's an evil plot to rule the city and no one believes him until the tick comes back and now he's like feeding into his own mania. <laughs> See, which, that, which is a change because Arthur was always kind of the sensible one. Right, but I, I like the twist that like the, the tick has like gone absent, right? Right. Amnesiac, he's gone and so Arthur is left to be like, there's, it's evil. Everywhere's evil. And no one believes him. <laughs> yeah. Arthur's sister Dot's going to be in it. Uh, ben Edlin's on board to executive produce. I can't wait. I'm very excited. <laughs> like Dot is a nurse who loves her brother Arthur to death and worries about him. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, some of these are just like character descriptions from the from the synopsis. But yeah, of course. The really good news is that Ben Edlund, the creator of The Tick, is going to be executive producer on the pilot, which means there's no excuse. No excuse. They should nail this. Yep. It should be wonderful. Uh, I have Amazon Prime just because I order a ton of shit. 
off Amazon. So sure. I'm going to watch this. Absolutely. And Amazon has actually been doing a really good job with their original programming, not necessarily in the scale of like Netflix, but they're getting there. And uh, Amazon Prime, in my mind, is worth it because there are so many things that you can get on Amazon Prime that you can't find on Netflix. Like, yeah, all of the Batman uh, animated series and Superman animated series. True that. True that. So, yeah, I think Amazon is great, and I am very hopeful for this new series. Absolutely. Hot off the success of its other X-Men spinoff, Deadpool, Fox was set to begin filming on the Gambit movie this month with Channing Tatum and Leah Sedu set to star. But now Fox has announced that the production on the film has been pushed back while the script undergoes extensive rewrites. The Hollywood Reporter says that Gambit now likely won't begin filming until December of this year, which is a huge slip considering the film was originally scheduled to open in theaters this October. Tatum's uh, producing partner, Reed Carolyn, is currently rewriting the original draft by Josh Zatumer. That's a... It's not a Zatumer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> whose only previous writing credit was the RoboCop reboot. Oh boy! The RoboCop reboot. It, okay, look. Was it perfect? No. Was it terrible? No. It was fine. Like, let's, let's not get sidetracked. It here. was fine. Matt, the raging Cajun just can't seem to catch a break. I know. I hope Channing Tatum's okay. I, hope I mean, he's okay. really, that poor guy. Look, when you hear something like this, massive rewrites on a script, that means it was terrible. That means Tatum's people got a hold of the script and they went, no. No, we will not put Channing Tatum in this piece of shit. The Gambit script has been like an ongoing problem for a while now. Back in September of last year, director Rupert Wyatt abruptly backed out of the film in part because of concerns over the state of the project. Even Tatum at one point threatened to walk off the film. Not because it's going to kick ass, okay? Well, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> when when you have a Channing Tatum... I think through sheer force of will has kind of kept this project alive because I think he's so. so into it. And aside from G.I. Joe, he's made some pretty good decisions. <laughs> right. So how badly do they have to be f***ing up for the guy that legit wants to play Gambit? Right. And this is like the X-Men franchise. This isn't yeah. like they're spinning off Fantastic Four, which was a failure. I mean, they know what they're doing here. Director Doug Lyman the is new, now, The new director. Yeah, Doug the Lyman. new director. Doug Lyman is expected to shoot another film called The Wall before he starts work on Gambit. And at this point, the Gambit film has been completely removed from Fox's schedule. Yeah. I have a feeling this is not going to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, know you I know that you have a hate hate relationship with Gambit, but don't you think it's weird that Fox would have this kind of trouble bringing such a popular character to film? especially after the enormous success of Deadpool. I think it's more than weird. And I think there is more than a 50% chance, like I said, that we don't see this film at all. You might be right. I mean, I, really? I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about Deadpool's success and what it means for films and the maturing of certain films right. and whether or not uh, things need to be more humorous. And and we're going to talk about that here in a, in a second with the, the Suicide Squad movie. But like all of these people are like scrambling like chickens with their heads cut off because no one expected a movie like Deadpool to be so popular. Right. It's and now they're just like, what can we do to make it more like Deadpool? It's typical Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, again, they just went, oh, it's just yes, make everything like that. You yeah. know, like, come on. 
really, guys? So you stuck close to the original stuff and you brought in the nerds that worked on the original stuff to help you with it and it was kick ass? Big shock. How many times do we have to have this talk, Hollywood? Really, just just stick to what, you know, works. Look, I, and I, I hate Gambit. I hate Gambit. He's my least favorite X-Men. Stupid. I don't like his stupid accent. I don't like his stupid... I don't like his stupid, handsome face. Yeah, I hate him. But regardless of that, a lot of people love Gambit. And if you want to do it right, just do the story of Gambit. Go back and talk to Jim Lee and talk to uh, Chris Claremont and Fabian Nicesio, who wrote Gambit back in the day. And, you know, bring it up to modern day a little bit and whatever. There you go. I can only imagine they made a super dark, mean, edgy Gambit film in this like really dark, overwritten script. And they looked at it and went, no, this is going to be absolutely no fun to make at all. And this is not going to be a good movie. <sighs> Poor Gambit. I don't care if it ever happens. <laughs> it looks like Warner Brothers may be targeting director David Ayer's Suicide Squad to lighten the tone of the growing DC movie verse. Devin Farasi at Birth Movies Death has reportedly heard from a number of unnamed sources close to the film who have confirmed that Suicide Squad is undergoing reshoots right now that are specifically designed to add more humor to the film and lighten its tone. Which, to me, I picture like those YouTube videos where they just put farts into movies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's still very serious, but everyone is farting. <laughs> Joey, could Warner Brothers actually be listening to their critics, despite Batman v Superman colon whatever raking in loads of money? I like to think that it's true. Yes, Superman versus Batman is making a lot of money, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, this update comes after Birth Movies Death's previous talk with another unnamed source who said that despite having a trailer packed with jokes, the Bohemian Rhapsody one right. that everybody loved, the film itself wasn't actually that funny. Oh, yeah. I bet they put every light moment the, in that the, trailer. The unnamed source said, quote, every joke in the movie is in that trailer. There you go. Okay, this is just further Deadpoolification of the movies. That's all it is. Well, I mean, it, may be, Squad it went, might not be Deadpoolification, but it might I be... bet you anything it is. Because right now, you know they are kicking themselves going, why didn't we make this rated R? They want to make as much money as Deadpool. And now they're looking at it and going, oh, shit. We made this super dark, edgy film. Batman v Superman got terrible critic reviews. You know, and maybe we got lucky just because it starred big names, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. They're terrified and they want this to be another Deadpool. And so they're scrambling to make another Deadpool. So you watch all of a sudden it's going to be the full on Harley Quinn show with Harley Quinn making Harley Quinn jokes. The female Deadpool of D.C. I don't want the D.C. movies to be completely dour funeral processions. No, I, you know, either. I want I, Suicide Squad uh, like. When I saw that trailer with the with the Queen song in it, I went from being com completely dreading the Suicide yeah. Squad movie to being legitimately excited to see what they did. Yeah, it looked way better than I thought it was going to be. And I know that it's just a trailer and it's all about trickery, but just the idea that the movie was going to have that tone instead of the like dark Slipknot <laughs> designs. <laughs> Why are you picking on Slipknot? Not Slipknot. Uh, Slipknot the band. They though there is a character called Slipknot in oh, the movie. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You know, like, just everything looks muddy yeah. and greasy and yeah. gross. They're criminals. Yeah. Like, I get it. They're bad guys. That doesn't mean we can't have fun with it. Yeah. And so I want that. I want that. But the movie comes out August 5th. Right. 
last minute reshoots are almost never a good idea, right? Yeah. Or a good sign. So we'll see. And it's not like you're going to bring Will Smith back to do a bunch of stuff. They're going to bring some of the cheaper actors back to like crack some fucking jokes. What are the odds? Do you think this is completely off off topic, but on the subject of Will Smith cashing his big check and then bouncing after this movie, what are the odds that Deadshot bites it in Suicide Squad? Yeah. You think pretty good? I bet he gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. Will Smith's not going to build a multi-film <laughs> franchise around Floyd Lawton. Suicide. It's a suicide. What do I have? Suicide. It's a suicide. That is big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where Joe and I have posted another lighter version of this show with twice the fart jokes and added burn. You might be asking yourself, how could there possibly be more? I know, right? But there's always room for more. No, I squeeze in farts. There's no need to cry, cause we all die. Every week, the Captain Boomerang to my Rick Flag, Joe Patrick. I'll take it. Posts the question of the week on the THN forums. You can go there and answer, or you can get really brave and call us and tell us your answer. Joe Patrick, what's the question of the week? This week's question comes from forum user Bobby CF, first timer here. He says, quote, what's something basic about comics that is understood by comic readers that you completely missed at first. His example, when I was young and first reading comics, I thought Nuff was an all-powerful being based on the covers of comics. I love that. Hulk versus Thing, Nuff said. (laughs) I was like, damn, Nuff can just wish for awesome (laughs) matches and make them happen? I still like the idea, but I was way off. That's so good. (laughs) So something, something, uh, just a basic misunderstanding. Like a, a long-standing, yeah. you know, traditional thing about comics that you just totally didn't get yeah. until you were way older or that you still don't understand, maybe. Sure. But yeah, something something fun like that. Just, I think his example is amazing. That is uh, That he thought Nuff was a person. Yeah. It was an actual character. <laughs> you have until 5 p.m. this coming... That's 5 p.m. Central Time. There you go. This coming Friday, April 8th, to get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. You can leave a message there, or if you're feeling much more lighthearted than usual, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but keep it under two minutes. Whatever you do, Matt, I'm sorry, the Alec Baldwin AI will cut you off. Our Alec Baldwin AI. Matt refuses to take responsibility. He runs all the systems in the ziggurat. If you need more time than that, Matt mentioned it earlier, you can go to the THN forums and write your full answer. There's a whole question of the week subsection. It's probably our most popular section on the forums. Easily, easily. And then you can tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's, quite frankly, a much better show than this one. That's true, because you guys do all the hard work. Don't understand. It's review time in the Ziggurat, where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Matt, I see you're feeling patriotic this week and celebrating Cap's 75th birthday. Goddamn American, sir. Share a piece of that cake with these nerds, will you? This week, I chose to review Sam Wilson, Captain America, number seven, which sounds like a weird number to just review, but you'll see why. From Marvel, written by Nick Spencer, with backups by Joss Whedon, Tim Sale, and Greg Rucka. Those are huge names. Art by Angel Unzeta, Matt Yaki, Daniel Acuna, with backups by John Cassidy, Tim Sale and Mike Perkins, 80 pages, 699. 
It was a lot of pages, that's it's for sure. A lot of pages for $6.99. Joey's right. This isn't just the seventh issue of Falcon Cap. It's also the 75th anniversary issue of Captain America. Although Marvel is famous for fudging the hell out of their math, so who really knows? Well, I mean, it's legitimately the 75th anniversary. Yeah, it's but been around for 75 years. If they had years, said, like, like, it's Captain America 500, right. or then I would have been like, is it? The story here spins right out of the Avengers standoff event, also written by Nick Spencer, and it's a refreshing turn from the last arc that saw Sam turned into a werewolf, fighting the newest incarnation of the Serpent Society, Serpent Solutions, who was working with Wall Street to take over the U.S. It's the 2016. I am not making that up. It was dumb, to say the least. Here, Bucky and Sam have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. director Maria Hill's secret prison, where the world's most dangerous villains had been brainwashed and transformed by a living embodiment of the Cosmic Cube, a little girl named Kobik. Spencer does a great job pairing Sam and Bucky as they fight their way through B-list villains that have awakened from their brainwashed state with the help of Baron Zemo. The Blood Brothers are here, along with the Brothers Grimm, and splash pages full of every Cap villain you can think of. It was a silly romp, but it was a fun romp, too. From there, the story switches to old man Steve. Steve was re-aged, or pardon me, was re-aged to old man status during Rick Remender's run, if you don't remember, getting his head kicked in by crossbones with the art by the amazing Daniel Acuna. While the second story does serve to give readers some background on Steve, Bucky, Sam, and how we got to the standoff storyline, there's also some fantastic Zemo characterization going on here. The return of a major Cap villain that's going to need some serious explaining. Uh, yeah, considering where he was the last time I saw him. Yeah, and... Okay, no spoilers here, but a major development in Steve's hero career. I'll everybody, just say that. Everybody knows that. Everybody it's, knows? Yes, it's already a thing. Steve got de-aged again. He got re-younged. Captain America is back, baby. After that, we're given three flashback stories with Joss Whedon and John Cassidy showing us the origin of Cap's shield, a fun little romp through a Hydra base by Tim Sale, and a quick but very entertaining story of Cap and the Black Widow by Greg Rucka and Mike Perkins. Like I said, this Sam Wilson book was going through a major slump after starting strong, but that may be because Spencer was also working on the standoff event comic. I'm not really sure. Hey, look, maybe uh, some people like Cap Wolf and you don't. <sighs> it was not good. I really enjoyed all of this, but I admit I'm a fool for these anniversary issues when huge names come out to gush over their heroes. I just hope Spencer can maintain the quality of Sam's Cap book because I love the Falcon so much. I'm giving this a buy it. But I really doubt this book lasts a lot longer with Steve Rogers as Captain America again. I don't want to get into a whole thing. I think that Sam Wilson as Captain America is fun for a while. Yeah. I don't need there to be two Captain America books. I just want Steve Rogers. And yeah. I know that I'm an old white dude that's been reading comics my entire life. And I get that the book is not... Comics are being aimed at all sorts of different audiences, right. and that's fine. It's fine. But, but we talked about this on the show a couple uh, things like a couple months ago about Marvel trying to have their cake and eat it too. Where like, oh, okay, look, we have all this diversity in our books, but now it's like we have a black cap and a white cap. We have a white Spider Man and a black Tino Spider Man, or you know, we have female Wolverine and male Wolverine. That's not really diversification, right? Yeah, kind that's of. just twice the amount of books you're trying to serve two masters. And, yeah. And and like, honestly, maybe just give us a Falcon book. 
I'd be fine with that. You know, I would be thrilled if there was a really yeah. great book about the Falcon. Yeah, and they introduced a new Falcon in that Capwell storyline too. That was uh, stupid. I, I, I got a good look at him. I don't. It I don't really dumb. He had like bird eyes. It was yeah. so weird. All right, but about this particular issue, I thought it was really great. All of the backups were amazing, and of course, you've got Joss Whedon and Tim Sale and John Cassidy and yeah. Greg Rucka. Like it's great. A huge array of talent. Daniel Acuna. I love that dude. Yeah. I would let him draw the phone book. I would read it. It's amazing. He might draw my favorite Baron Zemo. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. His Baron Zemo design is great. And then they got 90s throwback artist Angel Unzetta Unzanetta to draw the the Sam Wilson parts. And I'm like, this is not a good match for the caliber of the talent in this issue. It felt kind of silly in 90s, but I kind of liked it. I didn't. I didn't like it. Uh, I mean, this book is a buy it. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think the Avengers standoff event is really fun. And yeah. so I'm I'm loving it all together. Uh, I'm behind on the cat book, so I don't have any sour feelings about what just happened in the previous storylines. I guess uh, the biggest criticism is that if you're going to uh, jump in and read it with this issue, you, you might be a little lost if you haven't also been reading Avengers standoff. Right. But it's a great time. I enjoyed it. Uh, but there that. That one artistic misstep was just like, what an odd choice. Like, you didn't have anybody else that could draw yeah, the it, first half of this comic? It seemed kind of weird. I don't know. But it certainly follows from uh, events happening in other books. Yes. And so. I don't think the events that happen in here bode well for the future of this book. We'll see. Yeah. Joe Patrick, take us under the sea, will you? Hey. I hear it's better where everything's wetter. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what I hear. Gross. To the surprise of everyone, my main review this week is Aquaman number 50 from DC Comics, written by Dan Abnett with art by Brett Booth, Norm Rapmond, and Andrew Dalhouse. It's 48 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Deadwater is a killer and a monster. And a monster killer. Yeah. No matter where you go, he can reach you. If there's even one drop of water present, pray that Aquaman finds you first. And the most famous oceanic hero on Earth is Aquaman, right? Will in our gala 50th issue make way for Aqua Woman? Yeah, so. Yeah. That's, a, that's happening. So here's another fun fact for this week. I spent the better part of the last several days in the grip of some kind of mutant stomach flu. Really? Yes. Which made reading comics more of a struggle than usual. Tough to focus on anything at all, let alone with a critical mind when you're wondering what you've done to make God so angry at you. Enter Aquaman number 50. A standalone issue of a comic that I gave up on years ago, but was just what I was in the mood for in my darkest hour. (laughs) After filling in last issue, Dan Abnett is the new regular writer of Aquaman, here to take the series out of the new 52 and usher in DC Rebirth. And after years of tense relations with the rest of the world, especially the United States, Atlantis has established an embassy in Aquaman's hometown of Amnesty Bay, and is working to restore goodwill between his kingdom and the service world. I enjoyed the political elements of the story. Basically, Atlantis is trying to market themselves to surface dwellers, hence the whole Aquaman business, putting Mira in a costume and placing her front and center as the charming spokesperson of the undersea realm. When an impossible murder mystery requires Aquaman's expertise, Abnett uses the situation to poke fun at those that would make broad generalizations about other cultures. Because the creature committing the murders comes from the sea, it must be Atlantean, despite the fact that Atlantis is a tiny part of a vast undersea world. So Aquaman's involvement in the case is as much spin control as it is him wanting to stop the creature's rampage, 
It's a clever new status quo for what has historically been an inscrutable culture, and Abnett has fun with it. I was surprised at the amount of humor Abnett injected into the script. It's not the dour Aquaman that I remember from the beginning of the New 52. Arthur works alongside two of the most unprofessional FBI agents in the history of the Bureau as they attempt to solve the mystery of dead water. The dialogue gets pretty campy at times, but I still appreciated the lighter tone. Brett Booth is a polarizing artist. We've really kicked this guy around on this show. I, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a fan, but I definitely don't hate his work. I loved his backlash. <laughs> He's got some strange anatomical issues, and his design style is definitely marked by a mid-90s Wildstorm aesthetic oh, yeah. that it never grew out of. But I think his style works for certain types of stories, and it worked for me here. Booth's art, especially when bolstered by the talents of anchor Norm Ratman and the colorist Andrew Dahlhouse, has a brightness to it that really fits this kind of sci-fi superhero story. And Booth's panel layouts are very dynamic, rarely falling back on the traditional grid style. There were some inconsistencies in the art and coloring with the way some underwater scenes within the embassy were depicted. Mira and Aquaman are clearly in a room in the embassy and they are floating around, so you know that they're in the water. But the coloring is still very bright, like they were outside. Oh, I and see there are saying. no bubbles or anything. Yeah. And you just see little fishes floating. Yeah. But then you look later in the book in the same rooms in the embassy and it's like slightly darker bubbles. Like, right. So like something happened there. There was a disconnect. Well, and they can both breathe on land. Oh, sure. Okay. So why does the embassy have rooms that are full of water? Well, because not all Atlanteans can breathe on land. Fair enough. But like they bring to the FBI agents into the room full of water and put them in like dry suits. And they're the only ones in there with them. Why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, that was weird. I <laughs> like I don't remember. Like we can't have a meeting on the lawn, you know. I, <laughs> yeah, no, what's I don't. Going on. I don't remember the reason why they had to trot them into the embassy and put them in their deep sea diving yeah. suits. But that was the only thing about the art that kind of took me out of the story, and it was only for that moment. Overall, I enjoyed the comic, despite its flaws. It's not going to set the industry on fire, but it was a simple, fun romp, and it was just what I needed at the time. And it's got me interested in following Abnett's Aquaman into Rebirth. When I wasn't before, Brett Booth is not going to be the artist. Uh, Brad Walker, I think, is the main yeah, I artist. I think that's right. And I love Brad Walker. He's great. I was going to give this a strong skim it, but look, a good comic is a good comic, and I liked it, so I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I was I was shocked because I, and this is going to upset certain people, Patrick Kavanaugh especially, but I've never really cared to read an Aquaman comic because they're always so boring like when i read aquaman before i read aquaman because of jeff johns not because i love aquaman right right exactly and even jeff johns story was pretty boring like i bounced like, I, I got yeah tired of it. the way that they would write the atlantean race they were just jerks and they it was so heavy and abnett injected some humor into it some of it worked some of it didn't but it was nice to read an aquaman story that didn't come off as like a shakespearean tragedy and there's right. no major Atlantean conspiracy that's going to shake everything. Like, no, it's just a murder mystery with a pretty cool looking monster yeah. thing. Well, and the cool hook, like the, the it was like a magical creature that like teleported yeah. through puddles of water. Yeah, kind of neat. And I like Mira's Aqua Woman. I think Aqua Woman is a much better name and look for her than Mira with the stupid you know, like well, she's uh, a queen. That's her crown. Yeah. <laughs> crown and her hair and everything is dumb. You know, 
Yeah, I mean, Mira's never really had a code name. No. She's always just been Mira. That's just her name. And I think it's really cool. They're basically the only married couple in the DC universe right well, now? Actually, I think they walked back on on that. I They're not married? There was a strange thing that happened in DC Comics when the New 52 kicked off. And spe- right. I think it came up really a, a year or two ago where essentially it became DC policy that none of their heroes were married because so we can all feel like we have a shot at them or what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. You'd have to go back and, and read the think pieces on it. It was a whole big thing. You oh, just have man. To, you just have to trust me that it was a thing. Maybe that I could have sex with Aqualad. Um, I think that they've kind of gotten away from it because in the new in rebirth, Superman is definitely married to Lois. Yeah. Well, uh, which no, one? He, but it's they it's, it's which Superman. The the Superman of Rebirth. Spoiler alert: Superman got killed in JLA this week. Oh, did he? Yeah, he and, dies. Oh, well, in Brian Hitch's JLA. Yeah, yeah. That book is not in continuity. Wonder, Wonder Woman like looks at him, turns around, and goes, "He's dead." And that's no, the last page. That book is not in continuity. Yeah, I mean, come on. The the Superman of Rebirth is the pre Flashpoint version of Superman that we've been seeing running around with his kid. Well, regardless stuff. of that, but like, so anyway, my track. point is that like the whole superheroes can't be married thing. I think I think they're kind of like backing off on that whole stance. Well, I really like the Aquaman. Aquaman. I, I want Mira and Aquaman to be yeah. husband and wife, king and queen. I want them to be a couple kicking ass yeah. together. I, and she looks great in the suit. I had a lot more fun with this than I thought I was going to. And I've, exactly. I've got to give it a buy it. Exactly. I'm shocked. I was too. So that is a double buy it for Sam Wilson, Captain America number seven, and strangely, a double buy it for Aquaman 50. Who, who would have thunk it? We're Aqua fans. Now it's time for you, Shield Singing Patriots and Undersea Monarchs, to play critic. So head over to the THN forums.boards.net and hit us with your opinion of these comics. Tell us what we got wrong. This week saw the cutest hour of TV ever produced. Oh my God. When the CW's Flash. Grant Gustin <laughs> appeared on CBS's Supergirl starring Melissa Benoist. I don't know if that's how you say it. <laughs> Matt was probably busy cutting himself and taking marijuana drugs, but I was squealing like a teenage girl. You think that this is a joke, but I actually kind of was. Oh, I know. I know. As the two plucky heroes teamed up to fight Silver Banshee and Livewire, it was so great, you guys. <laughs> But I promised Matt I would take a quick break from moderating the Grant Gustin Fan Forum to review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Omega Man, number 10 from DC! As promised, I shotgunned the entire 10-issue run of Omega Man in a week, and now I'm ready to start a cosmic revolution. Good for you. Kyle Rayner has finally taken his place among the Omega Men as the sins of the Citadel stand revealed, but he's still hesitant about his role in the violence taking place on both sides. Very nuanced and compelling sociopolitical commentary from Tom King, hidden in pages of intense action from artist Barnaby Bagenda. He this draws the best Tigor. Tigor! I have ever seen. He's so cool. <laughs> this series is phenomenal. This was a great issue, and this book deserved a way better audience than it got. Yeah, it was too smart for you jerks. Omega Man number 10 gets a huge buy-it. Batman Eternal number 26 from DC. This is the big slam-bang conclusion of the 26-issue weekly Bat series, and it brings almost everyone that's ever even thought about teaming with Bats together to finally defeat the evil Mother 
who had built an army of young sidekicks of her own, but with evil intentions. There's a bunch of artists that worked on this issue, and all of them were pretty bad. No. Yes. They weren't. They. This was no, bad Scott art. Eaton, he's good. Did you see it? Yes. I couldn't identify what Scott Eaton did. He did the framing sequence at the beginning and at the end. Oh, really? Yes. This felt like an all-star ex-Robin team up with the ladies of the Bat family along for the ride. There was a decidedly 90s feel to the way that every Bat character came out of the woodwork for one panel of action. Yeah, it's fun. I will say the Asriel scene did make me smile. Yes, but this series was fun. The art was bad. No. Nope. In Batman Eternal had a feel-good ending that would have worked on the new Full House reboot. I'm giving this a skim it at best. I just didn't care about Batman Eternal. I liked Batman Eternal. I'm giving it a buy it. I felt like it was totally watered down. Faith, number three from Valiant. I love this series so much, and I wish we were getting more than just four issues. Writer Jody Hauser takes Faith on a solo adventure worthy of a real hero, and the character really steps up to deserve that status. Several classic comic tropes that Faith has been living by get turned on their ear in this issue as the real threat is uncovered. We get more beautiful art by Francis Portella and so Marguerite good. Sauvage. So and once again... Colorist Andrew Dalhouse, who did Aquaman. I'm getting this guy to introduce the show. I'm is find him. here to bring the art to life with his bright palette. Dear Valiant, give me more Faith Solo Adventures. Buy it! You're going to get more. It sold really well. Awesome. You're, you're going to get more. Godzilla Oblivion, number one from IDW. Oblivion? <laughs> Writer Josh, Joshua Hale Fielkov and artist Brian Churia spin a tale of a world with no giant monsters where a group of scientists open a portal to a different Earth that's been leveled by them. Think Stargate meets Godzilla. The story is fine, but Churia's art is the real star here. You can tell he had a blast drawing these monsters. And even when the plot was at its silliest, Godzilla Oblivion was still a fun read. I'm giving it a buy. I think it's Churilla. I don't think he's Latino. Churia. It's more fun to say. <laughs> it's, and he sounds delicious. <laughs> TMNT Deviations, number one from IDW. Well, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but this issue is a what if of sorts based on a storyline that uh, it was in a comic that I don't read. And it's just as tough to understand as you'd expect in that kind of situation. Still, if you can let go of the fact that you're coming in mid-story, there's a lot to enjoy here for even casual TMNT fans. And I L-O-V-E love Zach Howard's art. That dude is amazing. I didn't completely follow it, but I still kind of had fun with it. TMNT Deviations gets a strong skimmit. Okay, what did they do to change it? It was a deviation from the City Fall storyline, which I guess was this big yeah, it was epic huge. thing in mm -hmm. the Turtle Book. It was really good, too. Um, it, and it's where they they all get brainwashed by Shredder, and they so they're like slaves of the Foot Clan. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I liked it. Ninjas versus Aliens, number one from Antarctic Press. This might be the weirdest comic book I've ever read. Hey, all right. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea how to review this comic because I don't have the slightest clue what was going on in the story. I can tell you there were aliens. Was it a comic book? And I get. Let's start there. I can tell you it was a comic book. Okay. <laughs> there were aliens. I guess there was ninjas too. They never really fought each other. This was more of a slice of life story starring some kind of anthropomorphic animal teen whose dad is a ninja. My favorite kind. I guess. In a world where aliens live with animal people and some regular people. What kind of free is this? The main character seems to be haunted by a sexy hippie girl that might not exist. And then the story flashes to an alien world inhabited by other anthropomorphic animal people. I could not follow this at all. 
and it came off as a stream of consciousness anime lunacy from Ben Dunn. I'm afraid to give Ninjas vs. Aliens a leave it on the slight chance that it was just completely over my head. Uh, no. But f*** it. This comic book gets a huge leave it. I don't know who this was for, what it was about. I <laughs> Like, it was so f***ing weird. In the same sort of sense that we talked about in Aquaman, where a good comic is just a good comic regardless of whether or not you're yeah. a fan... This has to apply in the opposite way as well. It's like a I bad open comic this is just thinking, a bad comic. Like, is there like years of background to this where they've already flushed out? Is this out? like Ninjas versus Aliens Volume Three, Number like, One? Yeah, <laughs> like I have no idea. Power Lines Number One from Image. Writer artist Jimmy Robinson has had a interesting career. Scattered among his many creator-owned works is a long run on a book called Bomb Queen. Oh God! One of the most ridiculously exploitative comics I have ever seen. But then he comes out with things like Power Lines, which is a thoughtful exploration of race relations through the lens of superhero comics. Robinson's art looks like it was colored straight from the pencils, and it's gorgeous. There are a lot of big ideas here, and I'm interested in following Robinson as he explores them, but right now the characters seem more like caricatures. I'm curious to see where we go from here, but I need to see the characters a little bit more developed here before I can recommend it wholeheartedly. I'm giving Power Lines number one a very strong skim it for now. Why is this back? I know. X-Men 92, number one from Marvel. Marvel has flooded the stands with new series with their all-new, all-Deadpool push, but this one seems like it's gone too far. I had fun with the X-Men 92 Secret Wars miniseries, but I doubt any of us were we demanding We were pretty harsh monthly. on it. No, I liked it. You didn't like it. I mean, uh, I, thought the, I thought it was fun. It's fun to revisit these ideas with art reminiscent of the time for a minute, sure. But this feels like a cash grab and really didn't have any of the unexpected magic I saw in the Secret Wars mini. X-Men 92 was silly, not very well drawn, and probably a complete waste of your hard-earned money. Leave this. It's a dumb idea. It was poorly executed. And why is Chris Sims still writing comics? Through sheer force of will. I don't get it. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number six from Marvel. The crossover you've been waiting for is here as Squirrel Girl teams with Howard the Duck on a case that's just as ridiculous as you'd expect. That means that Ryan North and Erica Henderson team with Chip Zdarsky and Joe Quinones as well, and the results are pretty enjoyable. My biggest complaint is that Erica Henderson, who is already an artist that kind of takes some getting used to, seems kind of rushed in places here. Still, the book is worth picking up for Craven the Hunter and his amazing Craven alone. Zdarsky was so proud of that. Com put it on Twitter. <laughs> complete with the sweet airbrushed fantasy scene on the side panel. It was awesome. Squirrel Girl number six gets a buy it. Suck it, Anthony. <laughs> Satan's Hollow number one from Xenoscope. I was wondering if you would pick this one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first Xenoscope book that I've seen that doesn't take place in the Grim Fairy Tales world. No, this book is GFT presents Satan's Hollow But it doesn't one. say that on the cover. It said it in all of the marketing Did stuff. It? Yeah. It didn't feel like it was. Here we get the story of a couple returning home to a suburban Ohio neighborhood bordered by woods where a group of turn-of-the-century cultists used to worship Satan. What? Hence the name of the woods and this comic. The story starts with a young teen boy disappearing into the woods and hints to a violent past for the woman that just moved back home. The art by Antonio Bafulco did a nice job setting up an eerie story and who doesn't love a good satanic cult horror story? Uh, you know what? Give it a skim it. Wasn't bad. Sam, that is 
your ludicrous speed round, and Sam is the onomatopoeia of the week. And also the sound of an alien that might or might not be a furry murdering another alien with a laser gun. As seen in Ninjas vs. Aliens. Notice. Not a, one. not a ninja murdering an alien. No, an alien murdering an alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no f***ing clue what's going on in that book. Alien on alien violence. It's clear. Now head to TwoHeadedNerd.com to check out some much better research reviews of this week's comics from host of the Comics Therapy Podcast and our trusty love slave, Mr. Aaron Myers. Maybe he can make some sense of that sh- I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Joe. Did you know that Patty Duke was Sean Astin's mom? I did know that. I did not. I'm ashamed to admit I didn't know until her tragic death this past week. So, in a show of support for our buddy Sean, Joe and I have decided to host a good old-fashioned Hobbit wake in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're joined by Bilbo, Gandalf, Frodo, Feely Keely, Balin, Dwalin, Oin, Gloin, Dory, Nori, Ori, Bifer, Bofer, and Bomber to help Sean drink away the loss of his mother who was truly a treasure of American stage and screen. I love Patty Duke. Joe, all these guys are busy drinking and singing. Why don't we talk about our picks for next week's comics? Can we talk for a second about the release list next week? It's stupid. It's massive. It's stupid. Yeah. And uh, there were like five or six things that I wanted to pick. I had to scrape up stuff this week. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) And uh, I'm... like it's an embarrassment of riches. My pick for next week. It couldn't have been any of them, but I've settled on the fix. Number one from image comics written by Nick Spencer with art by Steve Lieber. It is the superior foes of Spider-Man creative team. Yes. Back together again. It's 40 pages for three ninety nine. That's a pretty good deal. A story of the crooked cops, scheming mobsters and corrupt politicians that run things and the sex toy that can bring them all down. All right. <laughs> Oh, and the hero is a drug-sniffing beagle named Pretzels. Okay. Bad people do bad things to each other in this frenetic, outrageous, sometimes off-putting new caper. If you liked classic crime comics like Criminal and 100 Bullets, we apologize in advance for letting you down. (laughs) Superior Foes of Spider-Man is a hilarious comic book. It was wonderful. It was also, like, sort of sweet at times yeah 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 i really i really loved it and so i love these two creators together and if they're gonna bring that sort of light-hearted uh comedy story to uh like a classic caper i'm yeah. all in for it Sounds i like i've heard a lot about this from a lot of pros the fun thing about twitter is that when one pro has a book that they're really proud of and they pass it out to all their pro other pro buddies yeah and then you see the other pros talking it up and I saw, I've heard a bunch about this book, and I'm really excited to read it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Matt, your pick is my pick, too. I know. If I had, I had the chance to pick, too. So to what do you the, got? I had to pick the Black Panther from oh, Marvel, yeah. written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, with art by Brian Steelfreeze. Man, I love that guy. Yeah. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's a solicit. A nation under our feet is a story about a dramatic upheaval in Wakanda, and the Black Panther struggle to do right by his people as their ruler. The indomitable will of Wakanda, the famed African nation known for its vast wealth, advanced technology, and warrior traditions has long been reflected in the will of its monarchs, the Black Panthers. But now, the current Black Panther, T'Challa, finds that will tested by a superhuman terrorist group called the People that has sparked a violent uprising among the citizens of Wakanda. T'Challa knows the country must change to survive. The question is, will the Black Panther survive the change? I'm pumped for this comic. Yeah, this guy, I mean, we reported on Coates a while back. 
he is way too smart to be writing comic books. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with this. I love Brian Stillfries, and he did a really cool, what was that? Uh, Daymen was the last book he did. And Daymen was wonderful stuff. Stillfries was a mainstay of like the late 80s, early 90s, and then he kind of disappeared for a really long time. I'm really happy to have him back. And I just love the Black Panther. I want to read a good monthly Black Panther comic. Hit me, Marvel. Let's do this. Joe Patrick, what is the THN trade of the week? I will tell you that the THN trade of the week is the Wonder Woman Earth One hardcover from DC Comics written by Grant Morrison with art by Yannick Paquette. It's 144 pages for $22.99. It's a nice little hardcover. Yeah, I didn't even know we were still doing this. I didn't either. Right? Here's your solicit. In this new installment of the New York Times bestselling Earth One original graphic novel line, Grant Morrison, the Multiversity, joins with Yannick Paquette. Swap thing! Batman Incorporated! For those of you who don't know, whenever they put stuff in all caps in the solicits, we have to yell it. You know, just like the internet. When someone's yeah, yeah. talking about caps, they're yelling. You're definitely yelling. <laughs> to reimagine Wonder Woman for a new era, encompassing the vision of her original creator, William Moulton Marston, Morrison presents a Diana who yearns to break free from her mother and the utopian society on Paradise Island to learn about the forbidden outside world. Her dreams may come true when Air Force pilot Steve Trevor crashes on their shores, and she must defy the laws of the Amazons to return him to man's world. Is she ready for the culture shock that awaits her in America? And is the world ready for this Wonder Woman? That, I think, is the key takeaway. Is the world ready for Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman? I, I think this sounds awesome. I just There's a podcast called Imaginary Worlds. It is a wonderful show, and what they do is they just go into all kinds of fiction. And they did a whole episode about Wonder Woman. And it was all about the guy, William Moulton Marston, who created Wonder Woman and how the old... He also invented the lie detector. Yeah. The dude's nuts. Yeah. He was also part of like a weird polyamorous relationship. He was kind of obsessed with bondage. He was a total hippie. He's a real weirdo. Yeah. But <laughs> he like envisioned Wonder Woman as like this sexually free character who was like intensely bisexual. Like, just did not pay attention to any hetero norms, you know? And, like, he was, she was always getting tied up and stuff. And, like, yeah, it's in, a... Intensely bisexual. Yeah. No, like, and he <laughs> wanted her, like, in relationships with women, in relationships with men, you know? Like, and the DC was like, whoa, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, I, I think... It's 1941. Yeah. Dial it back. Imaginary Worlds. Look that one up. It's an amazing episode. But Grant Morrison is just the guy to do something like this. And I hope he goes for this like freewheeling, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of done with the whole Earth One hardcover. Yeah. Like, I don't know if anybody cares anymore. I didn't like the Superman ones after the first one. I, I tolerated the Batman one. I didn't read any of the others. Yeah. And but for me, like, I want to read this Grant Morrison Wonder Woman story. Well, and this is a place where Grant Morrison can go nuts. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. There's nothing to bitch about, you know, like, let's just have fun with it. I think it'll be great. Joe, now that we've had a chance to help our buddy Samwise say goodbye and smoke some dank hobbit weed, we want to hear from you guys. So head over to the THN forums and tell us about what we should be reading next week. You have opinions. Who are here? What's your picks? In the comic book justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The nerds who post their opinions on the internet and the podcasters who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. 
Well, well, what do we have here, Officer Patrick? This guy, uh, uh, Charlie Tron. He was picked up at his local comic shop. Get this. Defending Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. No kidding. He hasn't lawyered up yet, has he? Not this nerd. He's cool as a cucumber. Well, let's let this piece of produce sit in the cooler and think about what he's going to say to the judge. All rise. Court is now in session. The Honorable Two-Headed Judge Joe and Matt presiding. Mr. Charlytron, please approach the bench. It is our understanding that you have chosen to represent yourself in front of this court. Please state your case. Good evening, nerds. Charlie Tron 3000, for the defense. Whoa. He brought a boombox into the courtroom. Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit to you the idea that this movie isn't good by any means, but that it doesn't suck. Or at least not more than the average superhero film. What's that? Oh my god, the guy in the Defender segment just shot his own argument in the foot. Haters win. Haters win. BVS sucks. Let's all boycott DC. Burn it down. Burn it down. Burn it down. Burn it down. I will have order. Sorry, that hurts. I think I may need to stretch my burning effigy arm out. I got a little too into that. It needs to do other arm things, like extend and possibly grab dessert later. But Mr. Tron 3000, you may be asking. Did you see the movie? It makes no sense. There's too much going on. Think about what you're asking here. Are you really asking for less? Because frankly, this is DC very much erring on the side of caution. Consider the idea that if they shell out another Superman Returns, wherein barely anything happened, you'd all be pulling your non-existent hair out over the fact that they didn't give you a giant super fan facial. You know it, I know it, there is no middle ground or happy medium on the internet. You can argue that it should have been broken up into a trilogy, but as so many young adult franchises have shown us, no one cares after the sequel. Well, what about the casualty count? They kill everyone. Everyone! Batman even carries a gun. Firstly, I'd just like to applaud DC for making an active, albeit over-the-top attempt, to make sure that everyone knew the downtown core had been evacuated. You know, before the giant explodegasm that was the last half hour. Are you happy now? Secondly, people die in superhero films. A lot. It's not new. Let's all remember how Keaton's classic Batman elaborately went to town on so many, many bad people in the Burton Man films. We might joke around about how Batman doesn't acknowledge his fatality count, but that doesn't change the number of people he's actually killed. Let's all remember for one second that he actively sought to destroy Bane's breathing apparatus. That's not just killing a man, that's a torturous and slow march to death. What about Superman? He reversed the planet's rotation so we could get some tang from old woman Lolo. Oh! Screw the number of people who died getting there. He's getting laid. Killing a lot of people to save a select few is, when you think about it, the most Superman thing to do. Oh, that's right. You forgot. Reversing the Earth's rotation would kill everyone because, you know, tidal waves. That's a fundamental fields, story flaw. All of the science things that you nerds are so keen on. Mm, my apologies. Dessert is here. Oh, it's got chocolate. <laughs> he brought a boombox and dessert into the courtroom. In the movie is the portrayal of Lex Luthor. He's one-dimensional. He's too crazy. He might as well be the Joker. Well, yes, he might as well should be. We can assume two things. A, the older Batman probably killed the Joker in this timeline because, you know, this Batman's insane. And B, the Joker makes money. The main antagonist of the Dark Knight pleased both fans and critics while making serious bank. 
why not twice? Heck, the Star Wars franchise has three MFing Death Stars in it, and the last film was one of the best grossing movies in history. And finally, the Justice League email. Got me there. Can't really defend a super genius sending classified documents through Gmail, but in all honesty, maybe that's the point. We've all seen Batman no longer cares what other people think, and frankly, leaking the email could be a good thing. He doesn't know anything about all the other superheroes at this point, and no reason to think that they'd help him out. So we can safely assume that if he did give Earth an advance warning, it would probably be to their benefit. He doesn't know that he can trust other superheroes yet. Listen, I get you're mad. I do. It's easy to be mad because this film isn't great. BVS, however, won't give you eye cancer or ruin your childhood like the internet would have you believe. You know what you should do? Be a little forgiving. It's not like your film would have been any better. Because frankly, I think you should start thinking for yourself instead of just bandwagon hating on this movie. <coughs> oh god, the cake. I guess I shouldn't try to eat it and have it too. <coughs> God. <laughs> Thank you for your testimony, Mr. Charlie Turon. It is my understanding that you have another witness you would like to call to the stand at this time. How's it going, guys? D here. I want to talk to you guys a little bit because my daughter heard me recording my answer of the week and she wanted to talk to you guys a little bit. So we're going to do a little Q&A with her, see what she thinks about comic books. Hi, guys. My name is Willow. All right, Willow. So, you like comic books, right? Yes. Who's your favorite comic book character? Batman and Superman. Batman and Superman. <laughs> now, I'm never letting you see this movie, but you saw a little bit of that trailer, right? The Batman Superman trailer? Yes. What did you think of it? I think it was good. You thought it was cool? Yes. I could not stand it. You know that. I, I did not like the way it looked at all, but you liked it, right? Yes. Would you want to see it in theaters? Yes. Even though Batman and Superman are fighting, you still want to see it? Yes. Really? Yes. All right. There you go, guys. My kid has no idea what the hell she's talking about. Until next time, take it easy. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Listen up. All right. First, there's there's a, a, there are a lot of problems yeah. with this. First of all, there's, I don't think it's a defense. There's some things that need to be stricken from the record. Uh, <laughs> I take extreme issue with the idea that we are bandwagon hating, considering yeah. that we've been reading comics collectively yes. for over half of a century. And Charlie, I'm sorry. It sounded like you hated this, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if your defense boils down to, well, other movies did it, that's not a defense. No. It's also still wrong. When Michael Keaton's Batman rolled his Batmobile into a chemical factory full of guys right. and exploded it Yeah. at age 11. I was blissfully unaware of the consequences of sure. what I was seeing. But let's go beyond that to say that when I think of Batman and like the Batman, that is the character that I love. I don't go to Michael Keaton as Batman. Right. Those were campy movies that don't hold up. And they don't hold up. And they were not very good. And yes, and now <laughs> as an adult, I look back at them in horror at the fact that yes. Batman is just wholesale slaughtering people through the whole movie. Now, I will say he never picks up a gun and wholesale shoots anyone. No, right. And that's kind of the difference. <laughs> yeah. There's a disconnect in the way that he kills people in these other movies than in this movie. Where he just murders where, people. Like, he has actual guns. He's an right. active participant in their deaths. And he puts together a plan to murder Superman. 
in cold blood. Yeah. Murder him. In true Dick Cheney fashion. That is not Batman. Because there is a 1% chance that Superman might turn evil. We must murder him. We must wipe him from the face of the planet. I don't want to say murder. Use the word murder. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what it is. Impale him with a spear. Look, I'm sorry, Charlie. I have to find in favor of the... uh, no, we don't find in favor. Oh, right. I, find, I, I rule <laughs> awful on this yeah, case. I'm sorry, but Batman versus Superman, you're not changing my mind here, Charlie. In fact, you just... <laughs> but your call was very entertaining. It, it was wonderful. It was yeah. wonderful. Your court appearance, you had the boombox, you brought dessert, you had an adorable witness, <laughs> you danced around. You were like uh, you were, you were were like Sam Rockwell in Iron Man 2. Yeah. Just like really putting on a show. But your case was like, yeah, could have been worse, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Could have been worse. Other movies have done it. Yeah. And yeah, maybe you should just lighten up. Yeah. None of those things are a defense. Sorry, um, you're not changing our mind. Batman yeah. v Superman, colon, dawn of whatever. F***ing awful. None of that is to say that we are down on people for liking the movie. No, I mean, if you liked it, you if you found something to enjoy. I'm happy that you enjoyed it. Good for you. I, I, I want you to enjoy it. And in it. our review, we both said there was some like aspects of it that looked really cool. Yep. And like it was... There very, were some enjoyable parts. Yeah, it was very well filmed. The story was just terrible. The characters were unrecognizable. Yeah. The reason uh, they fought was dumb. And the reason they stopped fighting was even more dumb. Well, look, Matt, <laughs> their moms have the same name. Oh, that name you said? <laughs> Come on. All right, all right. Enough beating this dead horse. Thank you, Charlie Tron. That was awesome. If you have a questionable nerd taste that you feel needs to be defended from persecution... Or prosecution, depending on how we're no, it's, viewing this. it's persecution. Okay. <laughs> you too can be on the Defenders, just like Charlie Tron 3000. Just hit us up either on the THN forums or in an email or calling the voicemail. Let us know what you got. How, pitch your case. We'll bring you onto the show. Yeah. And we will judge you harshly. Oh, that's right. That is our promise. It's like Batman. No mercy. <laughs> <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the episode before the 250th episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that prosecute nerds on the air, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You are the only thing that keeps our comically large gavel polished. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. To become a sustaining member, simply click the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, you can send us an email with the subject line sponsorship. Dollar a month. That's only like 99 bucks a year. You know, I mean, like seriously, you guys, it's nothing. If you want to yell at us, you see, it's funny because I can't do math. Yeah, that math is. <laughs> if you want to yell at us personally, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope. We're on it right now. You guys are watching us. Twitter, YouTube, where we posted recently our Nerd at the Movies review of Batman v Superman colon. Dawn of Justice. Dawn of whatever. Facebook, where we love to interact with you guys. You can post, you can talk to us, put up funny stuff. We do it too. Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, and the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Use that phone number. It is how you get to play with us on this show. You can call us just to say, hey, what's up? Yeah. Our buddy Anthony from Brooklyn. He does it all the time. Does it all the time. I love it when he does. We are his only comic book friends. Yeah. 
If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify. Just search for Matt Bum's Spotify profile. You'll see the two-headed nerd soundtrack episode and everything. It's great. Yeah. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Batman artist Greg Capullo, who celebrated his birthday. That is not how you say his name. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> On New Comic Book Day this week, word to you, sir. Have you seen Greg? Also, Cap- please don't beat us up, He's you terrifying human being. Big dude. He yeah. is, as the kids say, <laughs> swole. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just have Greg Capullo come to your house and beat you to a bloody pulp. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. I've been doing